We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And Lakers won a shootout last night, 132 to 131 against the Toronto Raptors. And if you look in the standings, the Raptors are a below 500 team. And it doesn't seem like an impressive win, Mike, to get a win against them at home. But they, for one, played very well in that game. And they've been playing well since the R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly trade. But Lakers were able to keep up with them. Mike, we had 62 points with six minutes left in the third quarter and scored 70 points over the last 18 minutes of that game. Now, many of them were on free throws. AD was super clutch in knocking down the concession free throws down the stretch. Toronto's coach lost his mind about the free throw discrepancy, which has me cracking up. It always cracks me up, Mike, when they're like, oh, we're going to start Thaddeus Young at center against the Lakers who love to attack the paint. And it's like, oh, why is there a free throw discrepancy? Anyway. Lakers get a good win last night, Mike, and uh, they shot the ball well. The offense looked really good, especially in that second half. So what were your thoughts from a, an entertaining night? Well, I wasn't expecting to start with Darko uh, Ryakovich, but I was in his pregame because I hadn't heard him speak in person. Right. And I, this is one of my favorite things to do, as you know, as to make sure to hear what the other the other coach has to say. And this is the first time the Lakers have played the Raptors in his first year as a coach. And he was like a very thoughtful, you know, interesting uh, guy. I was asking him about like the the presence of international basketball in, in the NBA and, you know, what kind of thoughts that he's brought over from Europe. Uh, he's from Serbia. And you asked him about Scotty Barnes and just it's very, very like mild mannered and, and well spoken. <laughs> and then and then you see the rant right after the game with him, him looking with like the the Bobby Portis eyes at, <laughs> at the reporters. Right. And I, I think you said enough. Right. It, it's I, I understand why coaches would be mad when they just looked at the statue. But there were clear reasons why. And the biggest one was because they couldn't do anything with Anthony Davis. And the Lakers started the game uh, brilliantly, I thought, by making sure that A.D. got a lot of touches against a team that could do nothing against him. And A.D. had nine shots in the first quarter. He made seven of them. And then he got, what, like three shots before about three minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
and the Lakers just stopped going to AD. And then I thought LeBron specifically did a nice job on the biggest possessions of making sure that AD was involved. Uh, and one of them was a bucket. The next one, Pascal Siakam was forced to follow him when AD kind of uh, put him under the basket. And, you know, that so that ultimately made the difference. It's like that is still the Lakers fastball. And, and let's make sure LeBron and AD find a way to, uh, to get each other involved. And, you know, as you were describing the Raptors, though, Pete, you know, they're, since they made the trade to get quickly um, and uh, Barrett, they were they beat Cleveland, who's, of course, missing a couple guys. They beat Memphis. Um, they beat Golden State. And then they lost a tight one at Sacramento. So certainly playing good basketball. But it just makes you think about how many teams in the NBA you really do have to play well to beat. Uh, it's it's not a league right now where you're just going to kind of mosey, especially if you're the Lakers. Like I, I think there are some teams where they can get away with not playing their fastball because they're not being taken super seriously. But uh, the Lakers have really found a way to bring out the best in their opponent this year, even a little bit more, um, I think, than the last couple. And nonetheless, uh, they got it done. And I wonder, Pete, what else about other than Anthony Davis, who was so obviously brilliant, uh, should out to you in this one i've loved every lineup aside from our starters our starters continue to get outscored by about 10 points per 100 possessions and the same was true last night and i think there are reasons for that beyond just like individual players you know cam hit four threes last night we were talking about him yesterday but he did a great job on uh, on quickly that was something that i said at the end of yesterday's pod that was going to be on my radar and he defended him well uh ended up fouling him out on hope he's okay i, I don't know if he's got to go through concussion protocol but he took that elbow just squarely on the chops mike and so you know hopefully he's all, all right there but the the starters did not play particularly well, although they closed the game out decently well until Max came in for Cam. But the other groups, Mike, the, the D'Lo groups, the back half of the first and third quarter, if you've been listening to this pod throughout this year, has been a real point of emphasis of mine. And that group with D'Lo and Max, which I love as a backcourt combination, I think they play really well together, then Vando, AD, and who was the fifth in that group, Mike? Wood? Wood, thank you, Christian yeah. Wood, at, was was excellent. At, I loved those back end of the first and third quarter groups, and so seeing us start to kind of come together in that part of the game, I, I we still have work to do, particularly with the starting group uh, has not played well enough. But seeing that start to come together, and then just. The organization that we have in the post, for example, and when Vando's on the court, getting productive offense when Vando is on the court in particular, like one thing we've started to do, to do more and more of, Mike, is since we're more of a post-up team lately, which I love, Vando, the dunker spot role is a little bit different than when you're posting up than when you're attacking from the top of the key because you're talking attacking from a different place. And so you'll see Vando kind of hanging out around the elbows, right at the free throw line uh, where the free throw line and the lane line meet and diving and cutting from there. And even if it's not to get the ball himself, it helps create a decent amount of spacing. And then Mike, I thought Darvin was spot on about the shot aggressiveness of guys like Cam. Uh, Torian is always this way, but Christian Wood has both slowed down in a positive way, but is also being very aggressive with his shot in a way where on a team that needs offense, Woods' emergence has been really valuable since the beginning of this year. So those are some of the things that uh, stand out to me. How about you, Mike? Well, the Lakers hit some threes for the first time, it seems like, uh, in a while, and, and it, at least at an efficient clip, you know, 26 for 36. And yet, partly because of the last two in the final seconds, the Raptors hit 17. And so the threes just keep falling uh, for opponents. And I didn't I didn't think that this one was 
as egregious as the Memphis game where the Lakers were just like, oh, you go ahead and shoot and we're not rotating out to you. I did think that they were a little more aggressive. Mm -hmm. I thought that you pointed out in the text thread that Russell's closeouts were a little better um, than they had been previously. So, uh, but I, I still, I kind of look at that area and think about this Lakers defense and especially the starters that is, you would think would be a little bit better um, still hasn't quite found itself. And Maybe that gets back to on the games where LeBron is great on defense and where he's just average. But in this one, I thought he battled Barnes like pretty well a number of times. It wasn't like a low effort, low energy game. So that's what I was trying to put my finger on what with the starters, you know, needs to improve. And maybe it's just the lack of that same size, you know, with the combination of Reeves and Prince and Reddish. That's not a particularly physical three. Um, on the perimeter other than, you know, Reddish can stay with guys as he did with quickly, but it's just not that imposing. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of it. And once you start to get to that bench with Vanderbilt, with Wood, uh, with Christie, you're, you're getting that physical imposition and that would increase as well when Rui gets back. So I, that would be my, my kind of take out this game itself. We can talk about that specifically, but I'm more looking big picture about what it is. That's not allowing the starters to be as good. I think that, you have kind of duplications of perimeter. Like I think Prince and Cam in particular are somewhat duplicative of each other. And I think that ideally if you could mash them into one player that shoots like Torian and defends like Cam, that's a legit starter three and D wing. But I think that they're trying to use two guys to kind of add up to do the same thing. And then with Austin in the picture as well, that's why I kind of got the weird no Austin, but it was Rui instead in that starting group because it really locks uh, LeBron into the point guard role. He had 12 assists last night, which I, and he was really instrumental in getting uh, AD the ball. Dilo came in and picked that up. I thought he gave us great minutes as well. And so that's part of the reason, Mike, why I understood going a little bit bigger and without that conventional guard, because I do think that you kind of fall below a certain level of physicality with that group. But Mike, I, we've been lamenting the Lakers' bad play for the last almost month now. We're on a little two-game <laughs> winning streak, meager as it may be. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on Wood. He's a guy that that has emerged. Both AD and LeBron, I always get sort of a twinkle in their eye when they talk about him in post-game and they like to kind of razz on him and give him crap. And LeBron last night was like, oh, Seawood loves his buckets, you know. And um, what have you seen from him, though, Mike, of, since the beginning of the year, he, since he's re-entered the rotation? He's a different guy yeah. that's really helping, not just in terms of scoring points, but his plus minus. Like, he's really helping us win minutes. No, he really is. Darius wrote about him in three things yesterday. And I thought, you know, really pointed this out that not only does does it look good from a numbers perspective and what he's averaging points and rebounds and field goal percentage and three point percentage, all of which have been on point. But uh, the Lakers have been positive. I think they were a plus 24 in the previous six games when what was on the court. And then it was a plus three in this one. So it's I want to give a shout out to. um a staffer that uh, a Lakers staffer that his name rhymes with bam that a couple of weeks ago was like, I wonder if Christian Wood has another stint in it. This is when he was out of the rotation. Like, I think he could help. I think there are things that he could do. And I, I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, because the skill set that he has really does fit um, as a backup center. And he, when he was playing, it wasn't as much in that role. And sometimes it was like with Jackson Hayes, you know, and just the lineups mm -hmm. weren't quite uh, making as much sense. And so, and then he started playing uh, just about the next game. And I think that, so one just obvious thing, and, and I'll, I'll go against my own shooting point just for you here 
his shot was nowhere to be found the first couple, the first couple of weeks that he was playing. And it was just weird the way that he was shooting it. And it was way off. Right. And he was shooting like 29% from three. And now he's been shooting like the player that he's always been, which is a great shooter. He's got a really nice touch, a really soft touch. He's got great arc um, on his three. He can get it off, of course, because he's, you know, 6'11". So that's been a part of it where he's kind of he's found a way to keep his confidence as an offensive player, despite not getting very many shots. And that is, I think, a difficult thing to do, Pete, because even when Wood was bouncing around year to year, he was still getting like 15 shots on a mm-hmm. lot of those teams. And a lot of them were bad, but that I think that that was a that was a difficult thing for him to transition when the season started. And then however it clicked, he just he just found a way to be uh, to embrace what this position is uh and it's been helping him and it's been helping the team. One of the things that I noticed from players that are especially ones that have some connection to the Lakers or Kobe, like they grew up a Kobe fan or a Lakers fan overall, a lot of times when they first get here, they'll press a little bit and they'll kind of, it's sort of like, a, I want to prove my worth. And they just go a little too fast at everything. And that was something that Wood was doing consistently. I remember he hit like a little, uh, it was either this game or the Clippers game, where he hit a little floater off of one foot that Darius had remarked earlier in the year. He had tried that throughout preseason, throughout the beginning of the year. And he like never hit that shot. And everything was about a half step sped up. And so he was oftentimes driving, especially in, in the five out type of spacing where you need to time your attacks on the rim a little more judiciously because there's smaller gaps. And so he had that great close attack of the closeout against the Clippers where Russ was defending two and it was him and I think Prince in the corner. I don't remember who it was. And then Christian caught it and he just waited a beat. And Russ in that one-on-two type of situation sort of cheated toward Prince and that opened up Elaine and Christian, I feel like earlier in the season would have caught that and either shot it right away or drove right away. And so seeing him start start to really calm down and slow down while also being shot aggressive, like Darvin said, in terms of like he's really looking for his own shot in ways that he wasn't before, I think has been a great combo. And he really adds an element to the front court, especially with Rui out. That's super helpful. So let's take a break, come back and keep it going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, Pete, there's another player in the front court that I want to zero in on a little bit after this game, and his name is Anthony Davis. We have discussed Davis plenty uh, on the pod this year, but just just to highlight, you know, in case you in case you missed this one, here are AD's numbers: uh, 13 for 17 from the field, 13 for 14 from the free throw line, 11 boards, six assists, and one block for 41 points. AD also played 40 minutes. This has become somewhat of a regular thing where we're not even batting an eye uh, with him playing essentially the most minutes in the NBA uh, and you know just being reliable, intensity being really good, aggression being really good, just very consistently excellent. And AD for me uh, is a clear all-star starter um, in the West. He is should clearly be in the conversation for all-NBA first team. I know some of what has to happen for that nationally is the Lakers record has to be better mm-hmm. uh, than 500. Um, although, you know, to me, that's something I think you can separate for all-NBA. All-star, I get it a little more when, you know, voters like to reward teams that, um, that have, you know, uh, more games above 500. But I've just been impressed with the way that he's described games the way afterwards like he's just really in a, in a nice zone right now and I wanted to highlight it a little bit and see if there are any parts of his game in particular that you uh, have noticed while in, in while hinting at one for me it's it's the shooting that the mid-range game he just wasn't taking a lot and wasn't hitting any in November and all of a sudden now he's taking a lot and hitting everything and so it's all there it's all that whatever he wants to go to seems to be ready for him. And that's why the scoring outputs are in the 30s and 40s. Um, it doesn't need to be the main thing that he that he does, but it certainly opens up opportunities. And I've loved his work in the post on offense this year. I think that this has been his best season as a post operator. We're going to it more. And one of the things about AD that I'm working on a video on him on his defense right now. And guys that have arms that long are usually not that fast, right? They're usually taller, lankier type of guys where foot speed is actually one of their issues. In fact, Christian Wood is sort of a similar archetype as as AD in terms of their center of gravity. And that's how teams attack Wood. And that's why he didn't, I think, close last night's game, even though he was very helpful in it. And so the – but – AD uses that ability in the post to beat guys to their spot. And so he's doing such a great job of of flashing from one side of the paint to the other and getting low and establishing post position and sealing that guy behind him in ways where he's getting, you know, establishing that low position. And then when they come to double him, they're reading that. He's reading that very well. Now, I think we go away from the post a little bit too much when he's doubled. I think that's a win. And then it's a matter of finding the open guy off of that. But it's really his versatility, Mike, that stands out on both ends of the floor, but particularly on offense right now where he can just beat you in whatever way the defense is giving you. And that now 
I would say that this game and the Memphis game were two of his weaker defensive performances. I thought it was unbelievable versus the Clippers. But I, I do think that the nights where you get him in the 35-plus type of range as a scorer, a lot of times don't are, those are not his best defensive games where, again, this is something I have a lot of grace for. He's still very good at it, but I, I think it, it like when he's less um, – when he's less otherworldly in that respect, it sort of sort of shines a light on some of our other defensive weaknesses. And so um, that said, though, Mike, you know, he's averaging well over 30 since the IST, I believe, and is really beating guys to their spots. And so his incorporation of his speed and then being able to finish over the top has really stood out to me. And then 13 for 14 from the free throw line, man, that's one of the things that when he was uh, in the 2020 season, he had a lot of games, Mike, with like 15 free throws and making 13 or 14 of them. And there's a lot of free points to be had there for him. Yeah. And so the offense defense thing is interesting because we do mostly take for granted that AD at this point of his prime should just be able to do both. Uh, And he often does, but you're right on certain games where he's got a heavier load offensively or when other players aren't scoring as much then, and he has to pick it up on that. end. then sometimes maybe it leaves a little bit less for the defensive end. I think that one thing that will help there, um, Austin Reeves will eventually start hitting threes again, that his three point shot has just totally escaped him um, while he's been hitting from everywhere else. So he, in December, He shot 40% from three, even while going one for 10 in his last two games. And then in January, it's like he can barely hit a three at all. Um, And he hit his last one, which was the biggest one against Toronto. And I don't I don't see anything specific with it uh, other than just maybe a a little bit of a lack of rhythm or maybe he's thinking about it too much since there haven't they haven't been going in. But that's the kind of thing even even then, if Austin just returns to shooting normal um, from three, then it just eases the burden on the rest of that starting lineup, because that's part of the reason that he's in there. uh, Right. When especially if LeBron's already there for the playmaking, then you've got to have Austin, who's a really good shooter. Um, from everywhere on the court, you know, he's he's a good shooter for mid range. He's he's got all the little float touches. He's got a lefty righty. And that's one thing I think that uh, that they'll need to return. Uh, we've talked a lot about Austin, but I, I did want to kick that back to you as well uh, to see what you've seen from his game and, and how he fits in with this starting group. Yeah, with the starting group, you know, in the text thread, I had brought up the idea of Austin going to the bench before Austin went to the bench uh, earlier in the year. And I think that just with that trio in particular of Austin, Prince, and Cam, I think all of them are valuable contributors, but I don't think that they work particularly well together. And so with respect to Austin, like one of the reasons why Toronto was up to start that game is RJ Barrett was going right at him and really attacked Austin. And and so that's something that in the context, Mike, of our broader conversation of that group being too small is the number of guys on the court that can help address that when Austin is on the court, I think is important. And so it's a matter of just being kind of collectively small in a way where like, okay, does can we have a lineup out there where Austin doesn't have to guard an RJ Barrett? Right where it, he has a different matchup on on Dennis. He did have some minutes on on quickly, and but Cam was his primary matchup there. And so, really, I think Austin is in this transitionary period right now, Mike. Where we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's pod, but that idea of going from his previous role was off the bench as a guy who leads a unit to being 
really he's not playing a ton of point guard with his starting group. It's mostly LeBron, and he's playing more of the the old role that he used to play. But he's had these slumps like this before, Mike, where he has uh, stretches where he doesn't hit threes for a bit. This is just kind of a part of the the player that he is. And so I think part of that is uh, readjusting to that new role. But getting Austin on track, this is part of why we talked about it yesterday, is one of the most important parts of of this team. Um, that said, though, I think Dilo came in and, and really handled a lot of, of those parts of the job. And so I'm curious to to swing the conversation over to him. Second night, again, uh, second game in a row, he didn't talk to media afterward, but didn't play a ton, but was very helpful in those minutes. What did you see from him? Yeah, I have been. So the way the postgame media works is that usually you start with the head coach in the press room. And by the time that I've gotten out of that, when just after Darvin Ham has talked, Russell has already been gone uh, both times. And, you know, sometimes when guys don't close, they they, they kind of rush in and take a quicker shower. I don't know that uh, the report right from certain beat writers was that he refused to talk. Uh, I'm not I d- don't know. I wasn't back there, but he, him not. I don't like that, though. I don't love guys not talking for any reason. Right. I think that that's a it's, it's a key part of why the NBA works and um, why like the coverage and you know being accountable for good or bad play, whatever way. And part of why the money comes in from the league is because, you know, because of this whole apparatus um, that kind of feeds the beast and the, which is television. And so I, I just do think that that stuff is important. And I think that, you know, a lot of people work hard to try and make those things happen. If a guy, it happens sometimes, a guy just doesn't want to talk. I get it. Right. But that when you start to get the two times in a row, and then if it's three times in a row, then we're just left to wonder what's going on because he did play pretty well, uh, but then he didn't close. And what you don't want to assume is, Oh, he's, he's upset because he didn't close. That may very well not be it. It could be something totally different. And so I would like to know that question since we don't know um, to focus on the basketball. You know, we've we've mentioned this so many times, but Russell can dribble. He can pass. He can shoot. He's got his flaws, right? He's not the best defensive player, as he acknowledges, even when he tries, uh, which I I did think was better. Um, He doesn't get a lot of dribble penetration to the rim, so he doesn't create a lot of force going downhill. But he is he had his skill set is just better than a lot of guys still. Uh, And that's why he was a number two pick. Like that's why he's had seasons where he's averaged 20. Like he's, he's got a lot to his game. Uh, And when he picks it up even a little bit, or he just matches the energy of the opponent, then it can make a huge difference for the Lakers. And I think it's one of the things that has made a difference these last two games and was the difference when they were on that losing streak, when they just didn't have that extra pop um, from him, whether it be passing, shooting, uh, you know, uh, dribbling like so that's Mm -hmm. that's part they clearly need him I guess is the point um right and then if they don't have him then they have to have something that can replicate what he does and guess what Gabe Vincent is hurt and so that that's just that's the part of this whole D'Lo thing and it seems like when when you hear trade rumors his name is one that you hear a lot uh out Mm -hmm. there just because of the nature of the contract and, and all and all of that and and I I don't know if that's part of what is uh, what is getting to him. He's also used to that, so maybe not. And I, I would I would like to figure all that out because the basketball itself, um, I think, has been important for the Lakers to get these last two wins. Let's take another break, and when we come back, I want to hear if Mike heard any of the woofing between D'Lo and R.J. Barrett last night. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think Devo's an important part of the personality of this team. Uh, one of my favorite things about him is the degree that he celebrates the success of others. And on the court, I would argue the degree that he facilitates the success of others. He's one of the only guys on the team, aside from LeBron, that actively looks for Anthony Davis and looks to set him up and is like, hey, we have Anthony Davis on the team. Like we, we talked about him earlier. Mike, he scored five points combined in the second and third quarters. AD did. Now, we had a great offensive third quarter, and and he was in the center of help, helping facilitate that. But a lot of times, <laughs> we'll be in the text thread and be like, why is AD not getting any touches? And how often does a guy have two 15-point quarters in the same game, Mike? He had, what, 16 in the first quarter, and then 20 in the fourth. And ended up with 41. Well, that's 36 points right there. And part of that is that facilitation from D'Lo in the back back half of it. Uh, but there's like a liveliness to him and, and to his style of passing D'Lo, that is, to that helps get those guys open and create opportunities for them. And I loved the back and forth between him and Barrett. I feel like it's kind of like symptomatic of when D'Lo is at his best. There's that level of engagement where I thought, Prior to him getting hurt, a lot of his closeouts were like, it's very going through the motions. And the guy who's on the receiving end that's about to shoot the three knows that Delo's no threat to really put any pressure on him. And so it becomes much more like that warm up type of three. And then we're like, oh, why is everyone shooting so well against us? It's like, well, it's partially because of that. And Austin does the same thing, too. And so anyhow, I, I give that long preamble to Mike. Did you have any insight on the interactions between him and RJ Barrett? Because I think that it's kind of a, a, sim, a symbol of when Delo's at his best. Well, first of all, Barrett was barking at everybody. Uh, Barrett was barking even before Delo got into the game. And I, it was the first player that he started yelling at was Torian Prince. Uh, I can't remember exactly what happened, but Prince, I, I so my seat is behind the Lakers basket uh, on the opposite side of the bench. So that's that's the mm. perspective. And so I could see Barrett was walking towards the Lakers bench as Prince was going the other way. And Prince did kind of one of those dismissive, like, get the F out of here um, type things. And so I think that's when it started. And I so Barrett was queued up uh, clearly. And and then. D'Lo got in and my guess is that Barrett just continued some of that and and D'Lo was the guy that was not going to just brush it by like look LeBron's not gonna he's like RJ Barrett not, no you know we're not I'm not we're not doing all that it takes a lot to really get LeBron focused on that but he's just gonna brush you off AD doesn't do a lot of talking he'll do it AD will do it sometimes but AD is so is so kind of good mannered that most guys just look at him and kind of smile like he AD can be a killer and still guys around the league really like him D'Lo, there are some guys that go after D'Lo specifically. Uh, Jamal Murray, obviously, and Bruce Brown uh, certainly did so in the Western Conference Finals. And this year, if you remember when the Lakers played the Pacers, um, D'Lo really 
really was barking at Bruce Brown um, and sort of, hey, where's your boy Jokic? What? He's not here. Right. <laughs> what now? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And but which, by the way, an aside, Bruce Brown, I, I still really like as a player, but he, he does miss Jokic. You know, he hasn't been as good this year. It turns yeah. out that a guy that completely breaks down the defense, every possession for you um, is helpful. Right. Uh, and Halliburton does it in different ways. But yeah. But anyway, so Bruce, Bruce hasn't been as loud uh, this year in that in that context. But so if I, I tend to like when Russell is responsive uh, to that. I like it when he's more feisty. I like it when his level um, goes up a little bit. And so. I was encouraged when when Barrett was barking and, and D'Lo was not having it, and then he was trying to make plays on the other end. So basically, anything that gets his energy up, um, anything that gets him um, to you know to a, a slightly different level, I think is good. And as I'm saying that, Pete, part of what I've liked about D'Lo's game in the past that I think has been a little bit underappreciated is that he can give you a pretty steady uh, a steady skill game. It's just that that doesn't always work, and that's where I think sometimes it falls short. So it's a complicated thing, um, as D'Lo is a complicated player. I think a lot of that has to do with his jumper. It's really his jumper that can come and go in ways where, like, he can't All jumpers hit. come and go, though. He, they, this, this, is, yes, this is the I, point. This is my point. Nobody's so, jumper always goes in. you got to be able to take it to the hoop. I I agree. I think D'Lo has a broader variance than most guys do, including shooters, where he's a guy that's a walking 9-0 run at any given point. He can just hit three straight threes, timeout for the other team. He's great at sending the other team into a timeout. Um, but there are also times, Mike, where he's wide open and he can't can't make those shots. That said, though, on the, on the topic of D'Lo's spirit, I – I can empathize with him a little bit in that he, again, came into this season as as a guy who was really looking to get a lot of deflections, be active on the ball. His numbers are amongst the best alongside LeBron and AD in terms of with the starting lineup. He helps facilitate good offense both on the ball uh, and, and off of it. And again, is looking to facilitate the success of others. And when we hit a bit of a rough patch, he goes to the bench despite being one of the more productive guys alongside the starters. And so you combine that with the name being in the trade machine and his contributions oftentimes being very much overlooked. And again, he's one of our better plus minus guys on the team that I could see why that there's been a damper on his enthusiasm and why there is a like, I actually don't want to talk to the media, even though I agree with you that he should, that's part of his job. Um, but I guess I sort of get that from Delo's perspective on why he's not, doesn't feel quite as embraced as a lot of the other young guys, as Austin, as Rui, as in, in, in that way. And so that said, though, when he is, when he's healthy and when he's engaged and has that spirit, he really makes a difference, Mike. And so I'm, I'm curious what happens with him at the trade deadline, but the, like getting his spirit back, I think is is super crucial to this team being the best version of itself. Because without him, we dip below a level of competency on the perimeter offensively, and and so Delo's a really important guy that I think that we overlook. And so I'm glad we've spent a little bit of time, uh, you know, discussing him because we're we're going to need him. Yeah, no doubt. I, I would just close out the Delo thought by saying you hope that he gets to a point where he can just. He can in some way, and I know this is easier said than done, but block all that out and just focus on his game. Uh, and because the the support or lack thereof, like that is that is part of being a professional. You know, it just is. And he knows that he's been in those situations. And I think that there's a we can all sympathize, I'm sure, because there's nobody that's that's like 
100% secure uh, in their job. Uh, and I think that everybody has thoughts like that. And this is why sports are so relatable in many ways. And, and these feelings are relatable. But ultimately, it's on you. You know, it's on you to go out and perform regardless of what else is going on. And I think that this this would be my point. Like, I think that he's done that these last couple of games. I think that despite all the noise, he's gone out there and he's played pretty well uh, and he's helped the Lakers win. And that's important. And if he can kind of stay in that mindset and maybe even grow a little bit from it, um, then he's going to be better for it. And the Lakers are going to be better for it. Pete, we don't have much time left. Uh, I, I would be interested in your thoughts looking ahead to the final game of this five game homestand uh, before the Lakers go back on the road for just for a quick one uh, to Utah. Yeah, so we got Phoenix coming in tomorrow, and they're a team that's in a similar position as the Lakers. They're, I think, a game over 500, half game ahead of us in the standings. It's an important one in the standings. Lakers are 3-0. and I've been following them pretty de- – I've, I've watched a decent amount of Suns games this year, and they just have a decent number of fatal flaws. But they're also healthy amongst the big three for really the first time, Mike, and so they're working on getting that aligned. But uh, they're, they are astonishingly – one of the worst fourth quarter teams in NBA history right now. They have a net rating of minus 16 in fourth quarters, which is the worst since the NBA started tracking that in 1996. And so I think that there's probably a hint of optimism in that um, if you're a Suns fan and that there's something here that we keep falling apart in the fourth quarter, but there's something to to build off of. But I'm curious your thoughts, Mike. Uh, they're, they're a team that's really struggled to get their footing so far in similar ways uh, as the Lakers. And so both teams are, are going to need this win yeah the Suns they're a team that I've watched a lot too and a team that I was very interested in before the season started uh, and I they're the team that is the so I make a list in both conferences of where I think teams will be and they're the one that I'm the most off on um, so far and sure like the, the first thing to talk about is the injuries and yes their three best players haven't played a lot of minutes together that's kind of the excuse that they continue to make that's the excuse that Las Vegas continues to make I think they're still fourth um, in Vegas in terms of title odds which which I think should be adjusted down um, and and so like here's why I I so like they'll be better than what the record is now if they can stay healthy, which is certainly not guaranteed. So that's one thing to acknowledge. You can't just assume that Booker and Beal and Durant are all going to be on the floor. Um, these are guys that get hurt a lot. So that's that's a, an important point to make. Uh, and I don't want to use that as an excuse. So I think when I watch them there and maybe these are part of what when you said fatal flaws, is, is, if that's the terminology you used to use, Pete, they amongst their three best players. And you can go and look at a lot of different, you know, big threes over the last couple of years. Like they don't neither. Neither of those three guys has uh, one of two things as their primary thing, defense um, or playmaking. Like they while they, they are all tremendous scores, uh, they can score from three levels. But they the connectivity between the three and especially because they haven't gotten to play together. There hasn't been one of those guys that did what Chris Bosh did and said, even like it was clunky for Wade and Bosch and LeBron even at first. And then finally Bosch had to be like, okay, I ha- I'm the third guy. I'm the third guy. I got to play defense more. I got to do role player stuff more. Um, Dwayne Wade eventually backed off and let LeBron be like the real alpha. Like that's the kind of thing that I think would have, would have happened sooner had those three guys been on the court more. But one of them has to decide I'm going into this game like James Harden is with the Clippers right now and making plays more for Kawhi and Paul George as opposed to just going out and having the ball and scoring. And right now they're all playing the way that they are used to playing, which is like attack dog um, yep. scores. So, Pete, hit me on that, and then I'll get to the other point about them. Well, they've been asking Booker to be 
to play that role. And Booker does have some point guard skills, but I do think it's taken a decent amount of his scoring aggression away. And this kind of speaks to your point, Mike, is that no, there's nobody that facilitates for others as their job amongst that big three. And so if you're talking about Miami's big three with LeBron, obviously that's LeBron. Bosch, while making that decision decision to be a, a third guy, was also equipped to do some of the things necessary in that he was one of the best defensive fives in terms of mobility and he has long arms, right? right? The of Phoenix course, guys yeah. don't really have that. Like KD has that, but he's 35, you know, and asking him to be sort of a defensive menace is not, he's not Bosch at 26, you know? And so that, on offense, they turn the ball over a lot because they don't have guys who dribble for a living or facilitate just ball handling for a living. And then on defense, like you can spam the same action against them pretty much over and over again. And you see them lose their spirit because they're not able to stop it. Yeah. And, and so that's that's the other part of this. And and I think so with the offense, though, I like I do think that that will get better by the time that they get to the postseason where where it will just become so obvious that that guys they will they will slide into their sort of more equipped better offensive roles and they're still now you know that I just I've I've railed about you know not loving using net rating a lot um especially as as much as people are right now but on offense they are 11th you know right now so even with guys being out their their offense still works better than most and it, it is still fine um and then even you know defensively they're 16th uh, like I, I think that that's partly credit to Frank Vogel and game plans and putting things together, but that's still, that's not great. And, and Nurkic at the five would be my primary worry. And I even said this as being high in, uh, on their regular season potential. I was not as high in their postseason potential because I think that you can just spam um, rim attacks and Nurkic isn't going to do anything about it. I mean, LeBron's already done it to Nurkic four times that's this right. year. <laughs> that's you know? right. Like that's yeah. that's what teams are going to do. So I I don't that to me I I do not see a huge upside for Phoenix as a postseason team. Um, I think they can get it together regular season wise. But like what I would do with them when you have Beal and Booker and Durant together, then you just have to play your like defensive guy. And in this case, it would be Akogi, who has struggled some this year. Um, but like he when when those other three guys are out there, he can th- that he's the kind of guy like in the way that Vanderbilt can um, that uh, that I think you just have to have out there. And y- you're going to lose some something from that. But that's that's the type of thing I think that they haven't gotten to get to as much and they haven't had any reps with because they haven't had their same lineup together. I think, though, that in the reps that they have had on that it turns into those Vando types of possessions where it's like, hey, we're going to live with the Josh Akogi open three. And a lot of those yeah, the Tony possessions, Allen treatment from the past. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's hard to play four on five in ways if a guy isn't a spacer either vertically or, uh, you know, or spacing out to the corner. And so Akogi can crash boards and, and things like that. But when you're pressuring guys who aren't great ball handlers and then rotating off of one guy where you're like, shoot as many of those as you want and they can't burn you to that adequate degree. That's part of the reason why, Mike, like going into this season, I think that they would have taken 16th in defensive rating, but the hope was that we're going to yeah. be first or top third three in, in uh, right. Third in offense. Right. And, and, and we're they gonna might be, really and good they might be if, and they might be if healthy. Sure. But like, so you're, you're not wrong there, but I'm, I guess what I'm saying is like a Kogi, even if teams are trying to play that way, he can always just dribble out of it and go on the baseline and give the ball up to any one of three guys that can create their shot in, in any other part of the court. Uh, but if because I what I don't think you can do is play Grayson Allen or Eric Gordon with those three guys and then it having then it's just Nurkic because then you're just not you're not athletic enough. You're not all of the things that we've talked about in certain Laker lineups of the past couple of years where you just don't have any wings. 
mm-hmm. you know, that that doesn't work either. So I'd rather take a little bit of an L um, in, in certain offensive settings in order to be to have that real attack dog defensively um, to help make up for it. But these are these are now problems like just to just to bring it to this matchup with the Lakers um, there. They haven't had that figured out yet and nor will they for this game. And the Lakers have kind of had their number. And it's also hard to beat a team four times. Four times, and, yes. Um, you know, in a row, as and as the Lakers have done. And this will be the first time that they have Beal and Booker and KD together. So that's my last question to you. Just what's the way to defend that um, now that they do have those three guys? I think our switching is going to be really important. Remember, Christian Wood was essential in that first victory of the season in the second game when we beat Phoenix. Uh, that ability to switch and be on the, on the perimeter, I think that them having all of their guys plays into that. But Beal will absolutely cook a Christian Wood in open space. So I think it's going to be a, a challenge for sure. But um, yeah, tough to beat the same team four times in a row. They're going to have all of their guys going to be in for a fight because both teams definitely need a win, but we've got routes to get the victory. So, all right, we'll wrap up here. Uh, we will be back on Friday to discuss how the game against Phoenix went. But until then, you've been the Single Baker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here on the line. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot. The NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Brian! Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Brian! Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.